We're going to be reading portions of Exodus 14 and Exodus 16. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the, desert of the, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they are bringing in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Well, good morning. I hope you don't mind if I keep my jacket on. I'm a little chilly, and between the nerves and the cold, I'm afraid I would shake right off the podium here. So uh, I wasn't intending to do that, but I hope you don't mind. Um, just a, a couple things uh, as we get started here today, or before I get started today. Uh, one is I want to bring some uh, greetings uh, to you from Maggie. And uh, we get to have a video chat with her about once a week. She has internet uh, capabilities about once a week kind of connect with her and um, just want to uh, uh, let, uh, let you know that she so much appreciates uh, your support for her and um, she's seen so many answers to prayer and, um, and thank you for um, praying for her and, and continuing to support her. Uh, just wanted to kind of make that connection. I think that she'll be listening to this message so I told her I said I would say something to her and uh, um, just remind you to, to keep praying for her, and, uh, and she wants to know how much you, um, uh, that, uh, how much she appreciates you and your support for her. The other thing I want to um, mention before we get started here is that uh, this is Pastor Appreciation Month, and I believe today, if I did my Google search right, today is Pastor Appreciation Day. So... Uh, so on behalf of the congregation, Pastor Clayton and Pastor Ben, uh, we want you to know how much we do really, really appreciate you. And uh, congregation, we are so fortunate to have two men of God who uh, unashamedly preach the word of God and um, uh, 
uh, and do so much more for the congregation. And uh, we want to let you guys know how much we really do appreciate you. So we've been on this journey through Exodus. And uh, we've been following the children of Israel as they've been coming out of, out of Egypt. And uh, I want to just review just a couple of things that we've talked about so we can go to the, to the next slide there. So we've started out with the call of Moses, and we've seen in that call God's faithfulness. Uh, we talked about the nine plagues and God's greatness that he was, shown, that he was showing the children of Israel. The Passover and God's salvation, the journey through the Red Sea and God's uh, protection. And so today we're going to talk about God's provision in uh, the provision of manna. And so the big picture in all of this, we can go to, yeah, there it is, okay. Sorry about that. I, I'm trusting that we'll keep up with things. All right, thank you. All right. The big picture uh, of this is. Um, how God is revealing himself to the children of Israel. And as we talked about before, you know, they had stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, but for 400 years, they really haven't really gotten to know their God. And so God had to take them on this journey to begin to reveal himself and reveal his character to them. And uh, besides revealing his character, also, uh, we see that God is transforming the children of Israel from slaves to sons and daughters of God, um, from victims to victors, to whiners to warriors, and from the fearful to the faithful. So we can see on this, this journey what he's doing. And of course, we share this journey as well, don't we? So God is transforming us. He's revealing, through different circumstances, he's revealing his character to us. But he's also transforming us also, right? From slaves to sin to sons and daughters. He's changing us from victims to victors, from, from whiners, sometimes we whine, to, win, to warriors, and from the fearful to the faithful. So in this story today, we want to talk about God's provision and God's provision for us, and how he provides for our needs. Now, full disclosure here, I struggle in this area, right? And perhaps you can relate to that. But I struggle in trusting God to be my provider all the time. In fact, when Clayton told me the passage um, that I was going to preach on today, I actually snickered to myself, going, I struggle with this area. And then when I told my wife, Lisa, she snickered out loud. <laughs> Because uh, she knows, and kind of at my house, it's like, don't bother dad when he's paying bills because he's really grumpy, you know. <laughs> and, you know, and God has a sense of humor, right? Um, and I, I think he looked down and he goes, you know, I know Andy struggles with this about me being his provider. So I'm going to bless him with nine children <laughs> so that he will never be able to rest on his own provision and will always have to trust me. And it's just like God to do that. And Truly, my children are a blessing. In some respects, I feel like I am the richest man in the world with having all these, all these children, and they, they do bless me so much. And, and God, even though we're sometimes stretched thin, we have seen God's miraculous provision. 
in our family, and we, I just thank him for that. But I do struggle with this, as perhaps we all do. My um, single-sentence sermon summary, I had to practice that. Single-sentence sermon summary is, is this. Every problem comes with his provision. Now, that's not really the, sum, the, the summary, but it's kind of the punchline, and that's kind of where we're headed. Every problem comes with his provision. Um, and if you're concerned that I'm going to be talking about some sort of prosperity gospel, that's not where I'm going with this, okay? So, but that is the punchline, and we'll come back to that. So uh, what I want to talk about uh, it, with regard to the passage that we read today is first talk about the response of the Israelites to their situation, and then talk about two characteristics uh, about how God provides. And so that's where we're going to head today. So uh, we, we uh, saw that God protected the children of Israel and uh, protected them from Pharaoh's army and got them through the Red Sea. And I had Clayton read these contrasting passages because after that they were, they were praising God and they said, we're going to trust God. And then just in a couple chapters later, we hear them grumbling because God, right after the Red Sea, led them into the desert and led them into the wilderness. And so there's a picture um, of what we see, uh, the modern day area of where they were at. Um, and, you know, it, it is certainly a desert area. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I took my family, uh, Lisa and I took our family to um, Arizona and spent a little time in the Phoenix area. And it was really my first time, uh, really true, kind of in the heart of the desert. We took a short trip, uh, a short hike of a small mountain, kind of looked out on the outskirts of Phoenix. And it was quite interesting, and it was quite beautiful, actually. But that beauty certainly would have faded very quickly had we gotten lost in that area, uh, had we run out of food, had we run out of water. And if you're you know, wandering around in the desert, that can be a really, truly foreboding experience. And he, so, you know, multiply that by being in that kind of area with thousands of people. And even if you had survival skills for the desert, right, sometimes that we see in you know, these shows like Bear Grylls and how he survives in all these extreme circumstances, well, that's just a couple of people. If you were with a thousand people in a place like that, if there were any resources, they would be gone in an instant, okay? Um, and certainly at this point, if they had provisions from Egypt, probably right at this point, they had run out of their provisions. So I call this the desert circumstance. And so I want to define the desert circumstance like this. It's when you're following God and you find yourself in a time of desperate need, right? You're following God, right? And you find yourself in desperate need. And they were following God, right? They followed God right through the Red Sea, and followed them right into the desert, right at the time when their provisions had run out. And so what was their response? I'm going to read it again. This is verse 3 out of chapter 16. If we had only died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It's like, you know, God... What are you doing? Did you bring us out here to kill us? Did you bring us out here to starve us? Even though they've seen miracle after miracle and have seen God's faithfulness and expressed their trust in him, at this point they doubted his goodness in, his, in this circumstance. Now, 
we can't really be too hard on them, can we? Right? We've, if we're honest, we've been in, a, in similar circumstances. You've been following God, and then suddenly you find yourself in the desert. And you can hardly believe the circumstance that you're in. And, you know, you're at the end of your rope, and what do you say? You go, what, God? And I've said this. I go, I've complained and grumbled and said, God, what are you doing? You know, why are you doing this? What is going on? And if we get kind of ruminating about the circumstance, we can be overcome with fear and worry and doubt. And our response is revealing. It really reveals about what part of our character is in charge. So God has given us, and I think part of it is um, as he's created us in his image, he's given us a mind, he's given us our emotions, and he's given us our will. And these are wonderful gifts from God. But only one of those should be in charge. Okay? So when we look at a circumstance, and that thing on the left there is supposed to be an eyeball, so... It's an eye looking at the, at the desert circumstance. So when we look at a circumstance through our mind's eye or through our emotions, it can be difficult, if not impossible, to see the purposes of God and his, good, and his goodness in our time of need. And what will happen if we, if we do that, if we're looking with our mind, with our mind's eye and with our emotions, it's going to bounce off that circumstance and we're going to experience worry, we're going to experience fear, we're going to experience doubt, and we're going to say, why God? And we're going to, it's going to be impossible to see the goodness of God and God's purpose. However, if our will is in charge, then it's a different story. And that is, if your will, as it's submitted to God's spirit under the lordship of Jesus, our will can declare the truth of God and some of the truths that we know, that God is good and God is merciful and that God loves me no matter what. And in your declaration, then you can see God's glory right through the circumstance. And you can see his purposes. I often think of David and Goliath, right? So do you think David really saw Goliath? I think he saw right through Goliath. And he saw God's goodness and God's majesty on the other side. That's why he could run towards him. Because if his mind and his emotions were in, in charge at that point, I think he'd run the other way as we would. But his will was in charge, and his will was based on the truth of God, and he could run right towards Goliath. So that in our desert circumstance, we have to have the same kind of thing. I read a good quote uh, not too long ago uh, that goes like this. Your emotions can come to the party, but they can't organize it. Okay? Your emotions can come to the party, but they can't organize it. It's, just, it's basically saying, no, your emotions and your mind can't be in charge. Now, in God's economy, your emotions and your mind are gifts and they're tools, but again, they can't be in charge. And I think that's, I, I think that's uh, an important point to make. Now, in order for us to get our wills involved and get our wills to be in charge, I think it's helpful to make declarative statements. And this is where I think the Israelites maybe had gone wrong. They didn't know maybe enough about God's, they've seen him work but maybe not long enough to be able to make these kind of declarative statements. And so I want us, I know this is a little out of the ordinary for what we do on a Sunday morning, but I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I want you to think of a situation right now that 
potentially could, could create fear and worry and doubt in your mind. And I want us then to make some declarative statements right directed at that circumstance. And so what I'm going to have you do is repeat the, the statement, or I'm going, to, I'm going to state the statement, and then I'm going to have you repeat it with me. So are you willing to do that with me? I know it's a little out of, this, out, of the, out of the normal fray, but let's give it a try, okay? So God is 100% committed to my development. So let's say that together. God is 100% committed to my development. God loves me, okay? God loves me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can separate me from, from the love of God. And I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So as we declare God's truth, our will can start kind of being in charge. And um, our, our mind and emotions are still there, but they're under uh, under our will. Um, and then that's going to help us then face these de desert circumstances and see right through those circumstances and see God's purposes. Now, one other uh, brief application along the same lines is that in a desert circumstance, that circumstance can kind of be the lens by which our vision gets focused with regard to what God is teaching us and what God's purposes are. Um, <clears throat> and sometimes, and as many of you know, that God uses some of those circumstances to draw us close to him, shape our vision about God and what he's trying to teach us. So let's move on to God's provision. And so um, what was, uh, so in the story, what was God's response to their worry and fear and doubt? And in fact, his response to their grumbling Okay, was it to get mad at the Israelites? Well, it doesn't really reveal what his attitude was. But he still, in the text, and I don't think we read this part of the text, it says he heard them. And I am so thankful <laughs> for that. Because he still provided. And he heard them despite their grumbling. And despite our grumbling, God is patient. And God is long-suffering. And I am so thankful for that. And then he provided for them in a kind of an unusual way, in a miraculous way. He provided the manna. So I'm going to read verse 13 uh, again there. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, then flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And by the way, manna means, what is it? So when they, you know, they got up and they saw this kind of frost out on the desert there, they go, manna, what is it? Okay. Moses said to them, it is the bread of, bread of the Lord, it is the bread of the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one of you is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Now, I think there's two interesting things about how God provided in this situation. Um, one is that it was a daily provision. They could go and gather what they needed for the day, except they could also gather twice as much uh, for the Sabbath. 
And then Omer there in the slide that was there before was about a half a gallon, so if you're wondering how big an Omer was. And they, uh, they, uh, if they tried to keep the manna for the next day, it would get full of maggots. And unless you like maggots in your bread, they would have to throw it out. So it was a daily provision. And so what do you think that God was trying to teach them about that and why he did it that way um, about making it a daily provision? Well, I think there's a lot of things that we could maybe uh, extrapolate from that. But one thing I think is he wanted to remind, him, remind them of his faithfulness every day. He, didn't want, he wanted them to see his goodness every day. God is a God of relationships. He wants us to come to him every day. And he wants us to relate to him every day. God is not a celestial Santa Claus giving us just the things that we want. He's a God of relationship, loving us and wanting our love in return. And not to do so would be like getting married and then saying to your spouse, I'm going to see you for an hour on Sunday. And, you know, if that doesn't work out, um, I'll see you on Christmas and Easter. Okay. That, that is not how, how a relationship works, right? God is seeking relationship with us, and he wants us to recognize him every day. Did Jesus ask us to pray, give us this day a fat bank account so I don't have to trust you? No, he didn't say that. <laughs> He said, give us today our daily, daily bread, our daily provision, so that I know that I have to depend on you and depend on your love every day. And this kind of goes against the American way. And, it's, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that you don't have to have a bank account. And, you know, and God's word is full of many, many things about how we manage money and, and all that. It's really about relationship, and it's about trust, and it's about coming to God and recognizing well, however whatever money you have and however big your, your account is, it's God's provision. And it's about his, his, really his relationship with us and wanting him to come every day to him. And, but nonetheless, God's economy, if we, particularly if we read Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, we can see that God's economy is very different sometimes than ours. And I know some of you um, have been in some desert circumstances where you've gotten to that point where you would pray, God, just give me enough grace to get through one day. God, give me just enough strength to survive this one day. And then it's those days in those desert circumstances that we really begin to understand God's faithfulness because he is faithful. But as a, sometimes it's a daily walk, right? It's a daily provision of those things. The second characteristic of God's provision was the fact that they had to participate in his miraculous provision. Sometimes we think of miracles as being, whoosh, you know, God just does this. Sometimes his miraculous provision requires some obedience and steps on our part. What did they have to do to get their bellies full? Did God just take away their hunger? Now, he could have. He could have changed their physiology, right? And he could have provided miraculously just their nutrition. And, but that's not um, what God did. They had to actively participate and go gather the manna and then make it into bread. 
and in God's loving kindness and his desire to train, train us as sons, of God, as, as sons and daughters of God. In that training, he has us actively participate with him, okay? And participate even in, in the times that we need miraculous provisions. There is often a step of faith and obedience on their part. Um, and even when we look at, at God's saving grace and saving uh, as, we, as we understand salvation, God has redeemed the whole world. The, the, the blood of Jesus paid the price for all the sins in all the world, right? But not everyone is saved because not everyone has reconciled to that fact. We have to take a step. We have to take a step and reach out for that grace and reach out for that, um, uh, that provision of salvation and accept it. So there is a step of faith and obedience in this. So this provision of manna, the, how they had to go collect it, is a little bit representative of the fact that as we approach God, it's not just lay it on me, God. It's we have to actually come out and um, reach out to him and accept what grace that he provides for us. Okay, it's going faster than what I anticipated, but that's all right. We'll just get to lunch a little earlier. So, One final point of application is that uh, uh, God provided the manna, right? But he didn't take them out of the desert. So I could imagine that they were thinking, well, yeah, the manna's nice, but really I'd like a comfortable home. I'd like room. I'd like a place for my livestock. I'd like all of this and that. So God still, he demonstrated his abundance, his love, his mercy in the fullest way. But yet they were still in the desert. And I think this is an important point. Because sometimes the gospel is peddled in such a way that it comes across like, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. Well, if you've been a Christ follower for any length of time, you know that's not true. And that's not true at all. Nor would you want it to be true. What is true is that in every problem, God has a provision. And in every problem, there's a possibility of God showing himself in a new and miraculous way. Will the problem go away? Maybe not. Will God go away? No, never. He is always with us. And he will provide for what you need. I love the verse in Philippians that says, Do not be anxious about anything. And in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and every problem will go away. No, that's not what it says at all. With thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. God doesn't promise that our problems are going to go away. In fact, sometimes, as we saw in the desert circumstances, he leads us into these things, but he does promise his provision. He promised in this context of this verse, he promises his provision of peace. At times is a provision of his, his grace, his presence, his kindness, his goodness, his love. He's always going to provide. It may not be what we exactly want, but we have to trust them that he knows the best. He knows what's best for us, but he's always going to provide. And his provision for you is based on his love for you. And I, you know, I just sense that somebody today needs to really know and hear that God loves you. 
that God loves you with a love that we can't even hardly comprehend. But he loves you. He loves you so deeply. And the scripture is full of passages that explain how much God truly, truly loves us. We have to reach out and accept that as, as, God's, as God's provision.